I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her Amy DeVosso is a Los Angeles-based health coach. We asked her to join us for our summer wellness series. She shares her expertise on nutrition for overall well-being and how to be our own health advocates. Amy DeMasso, I am really excited to have you on the podcast, um, especially during a time when we really need to talk about health and wellness. <laughs> how are you? And where are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I am in Los Angeles. I've been here since March, and it's actually the longest amount of time I've spent in LA since I moved here five years ago, which is kind of wild. And what have you learned about yourself in that? Do you love LA or do you are you ready to leave? <laughs> I actually love LA a lot more than I thought I did. Yeah. It's a nice being home, which I, I don't spend enough time at my house. I, I'm generally traveling and on the road and going back and forth to New York a lot. So being home and being able to be in my garden and I have a little gym in my house. So using my gym and cooking meals every night has been, it's been a really nice kind of change of pace and it's been really enjoyable. I feel the same way. I'm so much more rested and present. The amount of sleep I've gotten has been spectacular. <laughs> and I've slept really well. I don't I don't know why, but I've slept really well. <laughs> the more and more people I talk to, I feel that's the consensus and people are feeling that when we do go back to the real world, they they kind of hope to take some of this with them, which is really nice to hear that something positive came out of kind of chaotic time. Oh my gosh, I hope to take a lot of it. (laughs) I'm sort of worried about it ending. Having this time for yourself is so invaluable. It's really, it's really special. Tell the listeners where you're from and how you got started and and what you do. I grew up in Rochester, New York, which Mm -hmm. is basically in Canada. (laughs) It's, It's very far upstate, so not close to New York City at all. But I grew up there and I think you know, it, it it snows nine months out of the year, I think. So mm. it really kind of, you know, I think growing up there was very grounding for me. And I spent a lot of time being outside and being active with sports and I skied in the winter and all of these different things. And it kind of, I think, formed me as, I hope, being a little bit more grounded. When I finally landed myself in New York City, I went to college in Pennsylvania. I went to Penn State University. And then started a career in fashion after college and worked for companies like Abercrombie and Fitch and Ralph Lauren, which was very fun and exciting in my 20s. What did you Um, study in school? I was a psychology major. Well, that's perfect to go into fashion. You know, I wasn't sure how I was going to use it, but it's come in handy in just about everything I've done. So (laughs) 
I worked in fashion for 10 years and the last six of it was in New York City, which was very exciting and glamorous and kind of burned myself out on it. And when my husband and I, gosh, I guess about 10 years ago, at that point, we were living together and kind of getting ready to get married and things. I decided to switch gears and it was kind of a good opportunity for me to take a pause and figure out what my next direction was. So I decided to become a personal trainer, which coming from fashion might have seemed like a drastic leap, but it it actually was me getting back to my roots of being an athlete and growing up super active. Were you a college athlete or had you you done sports as a child other than skiing? I did. I my parents put me in gymnastics when I was three purely because I couldn't sit still and I was bouncing off the walls. So they needed some place to contain all of that energy and gymnastics was kind of the perfect outlet for it. Uh, That really started my career in athletics and all through high school, I was a springboard diver and ran track. And in college, I, I dove. So I was a springboard diver there also. How do you start with diving? Like, how does that come about? Is it from gymnastics? It, it really is. I started diving because I showed up to swim practice with all of my friends the first day of practice in seventh grade. And everyone jumped in the pool and started swimming laps. And about halfway through the workout, I got out of the pool and told the coach I needed to call my mom to go home. That <laughs> I was not doing laps. This was ridiculous. Yeah. I was like, A, you can't talk to anyone. Like you're underwater. This is awful. So Swimming was not my thing. He told me to come back the next week for diving tryouts. It might be more up my alley. And funny enough, it was. And it started my career in diving. And I don't. And and it was just natural. Like you were good at it when you started, I guess, from the gymnastics past. And yeah, a lot of divers start as gymnasts and retired gymnasts become divers. So you have that body awareness and you're probably a little fearless. So it, it was a really natural progression for me. Being a college athlete is intense. You did it your whole your whole time at Penn? I did. Yeah, I was at Penn State, which was Division One, Big Ten, mm-hmm. which was really an amazing opportunity. And, you know, I think part of the reason I probably graduated from college was because I had practice twice a day to really keep me in line. Yeah. And so in the mornings, five days a week, we went to morning practice at 7.30, and then we went to our classes, and then we had afternoon practice. The weekends were meets and competitions and things like that. So it was kind of a year-round endeavor. The discipline that it takes to be a college athlete, I think a lot of people sort of after that experience unravel and don't want any discipline at all. <laughs> so I think it's interesting that you continued on and became a personal trainer because that takes that takes a ton of discipline and you're teaching and mentoring, I guess, just self-discipline. I think actually when I graduated from college and I started working, I, I had this moment where I was like, oh my goodness, when am I possibly going to fit exercise into my daily schedule? It's been <laughs> so ingrained in me that you do some sort of workout or you go to practice every day. And having to kind of figure that out for myself, it took it, it was an adjustment period for me. Well, in fashion too, your your day ends at, you know, 11 p.m. or whatever. Working can be a really long day. And, you know, I was uh, managing retail stores at the time. So I had wow. a retail schedule and, you know, some days were late and some days were early. And, you know, you were kind of trying to fit things in around 
that schedule. I would think that also that transition to personal training came from seeing a need within fashion of people needing some, you know, leadership or some sort of mentor to tell them how to manage it and balance it and how to add that into their schedule. Absolutely. And you own retail stores. The relationships you build with clients in that store environment is so valuable and so great. And you learn, you get to know people on an intimate level. I feel like the conversations I had a lot of times with people were about health and wellness and you know, maybe they were buying something to make themselves feel better or look better and for an event and they wanted to look and feel their best. And so I think segging into training was a really natural progression for me. It was an, a way for me to have more intimate one-on-one conversations about life and what people were doing while helping them feel good about themselves. And, you know, I think in that, when people feel good about themselves, when they put something on, it's kind of a direct reflection of that. Do you remember, was there a specific client that you felt like you really impacted during that time or that made you know that you were doing the right thing and and choosing this route? I think I loved all of them (laughs) in different ways. They, They were all different too. I had a handful of moms. I had business executives. I had people that were, you know, in government and all different walks of life, the relationships that we were able to build and helping them achieve their goals was just, it was super fulfilling for me. I had one really busy executive who was flying back and forth to Asia all the time, walk in one day and look at me and it was July. He said, I'm going to run the New York City Marathon in November. I almost fell over. I was like, okay, we've got our work cut out for us. It wasn't what I envisioned his training plan to be. We put together a plan and we put together a run program and a strength training program and a recovery program and all of these things to my goal was to get him to and through the marathon without getting injured. He went on to run three more marathons, which was very cool. And you had um, a pivotal moment in your life when you lost your dad to cancer right after college, Amy? It was actually right after I got married. It was about six years ago. Um, He was diagnosed with lung cancer and passed away within six weeks. So it was pretty fast. And it really impacted how I look at health and wellness and lifestyle and all of these things that really impact and make a big difference in our health. I started questioning the healthcare that I was receiving and my friends and family were receiving. And I really became kind of a spokesperson for being an advocate for your own health. Something hurts or doesn't feel right, and we go in and a doctor will say, oh, your labs look fine, you're okay, maybe take this prescription and you're good to go. But, you know, what I've discovered is what is that prescription kind of band-aiding for us? Right. And why is what's happening, like this discomfort actually happening? And so I think it's really important for people to ask those questions and find a practitioner who's going to actually do a little research and digging with you. And yeah. this has to be a partnership. I think we need to be partners in our health and wellness with our practitioners and figuring out, you know, is it a food intolerance? Is it something we're eating or stress or whatever it is? You know, a lot of times you can make a lifestyle modification and a little thing can make a huge change in your life. So really helping clients, you know, I think that was kind of when I started segging to health coaching and 
helping people advocate for their health and look at the way they're living and how it was impacting how they felt. Will you talk to me a little bit about being your own health advocate and what that entails? So many of us look at doctors as kind of this revered person that knows everything about our health. And, you know, I think being in our own skin, we know the most about our own health and how things make us feel. And so if we are able to articulate to a doctor, you know, that every day I feel X, Y, and Z, and their only answer is, oh, you have acid reflux here's, you know, a Zantac or whatever it is that they might give you. Mm-hmm. I encourage my clients to ask more questions because yes, you could take a, you know, pill or s- supplement or something to kind of band-aid or fix that, but it's not necessarily going to c- help the root cause. So, you know, I think advocating for your health, ha- your own health is really kind of understanding and finding practitioners that will help you find the root cause. I kind of started my own health journey probably a decade ago. I felt sick every time I ate and didn't know why. And every time I went into the doctor, they gave me a prescription for, you know, an antacid, a laxative, this, that. And Mm. I finally got to a point where I was like, I don't really want to take any of these things I, I, I want to know why this is happening to me. And my doctor, you know, ran blood tests and she said I was fine. And I just, I knew something was off. Mm-hmm. So I kind of kept digging and I landed myself in an acupuncturist office and the acupuncturist looked at me and said, why don't you cut out gluten and dairy for like a week or two? At that point, I didn't know what gluten was. And so I kind of looked at her with wide eyes and said, sure, what's that? But it it made a dramatic impact on how I felt. I, you know, I I felt so tired all the time. I, I was just constantly tired. And I, you know, that feeling of fatigue and just you know, my stomach hurting every time I eat actually went away really quickly. And I went back into my doctor and said to her, so my stomach ache went away. And she was like, well, what did you do? I said, well, I, you know, I cut out gluten and dairy and now I, I don't have stomach cramps after I eat every time. And ironically enough, I had gone into my dermatologist and she, I had really bad rosacea in my 20s and early 30s, and my rosacea had gone away. And my dermatologist looked at me and said, wow, your skin looks great. What have you been doing? Are you using that cream I prescribed to you? And I said, no, I I stopped eating gluten and dairy, and I've been taking probiotics. And the the confusion on her face, I will never, ever forget. It just, it was this moment where I realized, you know, there were eating a healthy diet and eating foods that support your body. And each of our bodies is very different, but eating things that support us as individuals is so important. I put myself on these low carb diets pretty often when I was in my twenties and early thirties. And I always felt better, but I didn't know why I just thought like cutting out bread and carbohydrates, like made me feel better, but it actually did since I was allergic to gluten. So I think going back to advocating for your own health, I think we know when something is off in our body. I think we should also ask when we're being prescribed things. You know, there's so many young girls that have cramps with their period and their doctor will put them on birth control pills in their teens and they may not even be sexually active, but they're on the pill. And then 20 years later, 
they're trying to conceive and they're like, well, I've been on birth control pill for 20 years. And, you know, that can really wreak havoc on your hormonal systems. There are a lot of practitioners who will take the time to sit down with you and really figure out what's going on. It's about finding the right one and finding a practitioner who will do different types of tests and test your hormones and thyroid and doing more than just a basic panel. I always tell people, you know, when you get a basic cholesterol test or a basic blood test at a general practitioner's office, your scores or the numbers they're giving back to you is based around what the average American is ranking. So if you're coming up back as normal in like cholesterol or vitamin D levels, that's based around what every other American in the United States is coming back at. That's not necessarily optimal. You <laughs> want to find a doctor who's testing your optimal levels and functional practitioners and integrative medicine people look at the body as a whole unit. That was something that I learned in personal training yeah. is that just because your shoulder hurts, it doesn't mean your shoulder's injured. It could be you know, something in your hip or your foot is causing your shoulder to hurt. There are so many doctors that you, know, you can go to an allergist. Um, functional medicine doctors do a lot of food sensitivity and allergy testing also. And you know, if you're constantly introducing foods that you're allergic to or sensitive to, you're causing more and more inflammation to your system. So yes, your, your body is eventually going to speak to you and tell you things about how it's feeling. And it's probably not feeling well if it's constantly being inflamed by what you're consuming. Will you talk to me a little bit about health coaching? How did you know what that was? I actually started health coaching when I was personal training. One of my educational certifications was as a health coach. And I worked for Equinox uh, in New York City, and their tier three plus trainers at that time went through the Precision Nutrition Health Coaching Certification. And it was it was a great foray into health coaching for me. It gave a really great nutritional basis to work on and kind of tips and pointers on how to actually coach someone to make these behavior changes and lifestyle changes. Because as we know, making a change in your life, it can be can be really challenging. So basically, I started health coaching when I was training. And a lot of my conversations with clients revolved around what they were eating. They always wanted to know what I was eating. And since we were in New York, everybody was going out to dinner all the time. In New York, yeah. that's just what you do. You eat out, you meet up with friends. It's a very social thing. So you can't take a business executive and put them on a super restrictive diet. They need to be able to go to a business meeting or dinner and sit through a meal and have that social interaction and not you know, order a steamed piece of fish with like steamed broccoli. Eating should be enjoyable. It should also make you feel good. So when we moved to Los Angeles, I started traveling a lot with my husband. He was traveling a lot for work. So going back and forth to New York and uh, any of his international trips, I had the opportunity to go with him, which was really fun. But nobody wanted a personal trainer who was around two weeks a month. Like that just doesn't <laughs> make sense. So health coaching kind of was a natural progression from training. I was still helping people be healthy and, you know, work on their wellness, but I, I didn't need to be right there in front of them and with them. I started out FaceTiming people and we'd have these great conversations and we'd put together game plans. So really a health coach, getting back to the root of the question, um, <laughs> a health coach is 
like a mentor and a support figure in your health and wellness journey. So we start a session by figuring out what your wellness goals are. Is it being less stressed? Is it eating better, sleeping better? Whatever it is, we put together an action plan and implement little little steps. I like starting small. I don't want to give someone six things to do. Uh, that's not really realistic. But if you can do two things each week or over the course of our time together, it can make a big impact long term. And I find once someone has established one or two little habits, then adding a new habit in. So it's really about changing habits, giving people suggestions and ideas and tips and hacks on adding little things into their life that aren't really obtrusive. They work into their lifestyle. They work into, you know, their busy schedules and, you know, it's really about making their lives easier as well as healthier. How long do you think it takes for people to start feeling better, feel, feeling the difference in these small changes? You know, I've had clients who have cut out gluten, which is a very big undertaking, I think, just because we don't realize how many foods gluten's kind of hidden. I, I always say, where are you hiding the gluten? Because it's right. always hidden in something. I have celiac, Amy, so I, I'm with you. <laughs> when someone kind of realized that one thing that they're eating or gluten for a lot of things, but if you can remove one thing and it makes you feel so much better, maybe it's the piece of bread on your sandwich every, every mm-hmm. afternoon and making that sandwich into a salad, you know, and all of a sudden you don't feel fatigued or sluggish after lunch. Like that mm-hmm. to me is a major win. You know, like, let's just start with your lunch and then maybe we'll work on like figuring out how to remove gluten from dinner. But yeah. getting people to kind of make little changes can have such a big impact. And I just, with the gluten thing, you can take it out and within like a day or two, all of a sudden you're night and day different. So that's, that's to me always super rewarding when people see something right off the bat by making a tiny change. Agreed. Can we talk a little bit more about wellness during the pandemic? Are are there any foods or supplements or things that you're having your clients do to boost their immunity right now? Absolutely. You know, I have stopped watching the news just because it makes me really sad that they don't talk about healthy eating and healthy lifestyle and what we should be doing. They just tell us that people are getting sick. And, you know, I think right now more than ever, people should be really concentrating on keeping themselves healthy. And that might sound like a simple thing to do. And it is. It's really about making sure that the foods that you're eating are nourishing. So maybe cutting out some of the processed foods and swapping in whole foods like fruits and vegetables, lean proteins. You know, I think exercising is so invaluable. Exercising actually directly impacts your immune system. It helps to toxify and flush out, you know, things from your lungs and airways and detoxifies your blood and kind of just like getting things moving through you. So if you're starting to get a sniffle, making sure you're taking like a brisk walk, you know, or making sure you're getting enough sleep so that your body's able to rest and regenerate. Talk to me a little bit more about gut health. I mean, what can people do to feel better? I think so many women that I work with have stomach issues. (laughs) Taking out inflammatory foods that are causing more harm than good to us and really focusing on your gut health. And, you know, that's a term that's thrown around a lot, I think, in health and wellness. But 
taking care of your gut health really means just eating real food. You know, I feel like everyone I talk to has stomach issues of some form. I think the first thing we can do is really look at what we're eating and how we're eating. You know, are we eating when we're super rushed and stressed and all of these different things? And really, you know, taking a minute before you eat to take a deep breath, taking time, eating slowly. The foods that we're eating really impact how we feel. So I have, when I have a client come to me and they're experiencing, you know, some sort of GI distress, we go through a day or two of what they're eating and I ask them to record how they feel after each meal. And if they're feeling tired or sluggish or they have heartburn or indigestion or feel gassy or bloated, you know, we really kind of zero in on what was it in that meal that might be causing that and cutting out those foods. So it's something that people can do at home. You know, you can kind of look at what you're eating on a daily basis. And, you know, I think gluten, dairy, and fried foods tend to be kind of biggest culprits. Sugar is also a big one. I also think there's so much stress and anxiety, obviously, around the pandemic. And I think that our professional coach always says that any grief is all grief. And so, you know, that any feelings you're feeling about this also have to do with all of the grief you've had in the, in in your entire life, you know, stress eating is a real thing. Stress eating is a real thing. You know, I know so many people that have started baking (laughs) and they're consuming cookies and baked goods and all of these different things. And I think that's great. I I fell into the baked good trap at one point and I had to cut myself off because I was eating like two cookies or three cookies every day. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this is just not like long-term sustainable. And it's sugar. So sugar is a really interesting thing. It actually makes us feel better. It like taps into our serotonin receptors and gives us this like warm, fuzzy, like happy feeling before it kind of makes us feel like crap. So, you know, sugar does make you feel better, but at the same time, it is wrecking havoc on your gut health and on your insulin levels and your cortisol levels. So when we're stressed, our cortisol goes up, which is stress hormone, which makes our body secrete more insulin. So your body is already secreting a lot of sugar, which is part of the reason people stress eat because they feel hungry, they feel kind of jittery or wired. So anytime you have stress, you know, I always tell people, make sure that you're eating the best possible way you can eat, you know, really doubling down on your vegetables, drinking, like soothing things like green juices or bone broth, you know, making soup, um, things that are filling, but also really nutritional. Your body needs the extra support when it's stressed out from the food that we eat. So grabbing for a cookie or a donut or a baked good because it's available and you're stress eating or you're, you know, just like kind of frazzled and want something to make you feel good, like it will short term, but I think long term, your body will really thank you for giving it the nutrients it needs to manage the stress that it's under. I also think sleep is a big one. You know, I think now everybody has an opportunity to sleep, which is really nice. I also tell people to meditate, you know, there's so much power in meditation, and connecting with your breath and doing breathing exercises to kind of give yourself a realignment of perspective, maybe Uh, for people that don't like meditating, I always tell them to journal and that can be, you know, just jotting down words or I'm not a full sentence journaler. I kind of just jot down thoughts and words and it's kind of a nice way to purge my brain and kind of 
get things out that I'm having a hard time working through. I have a lot of clients that have insomnia. I'm like, keep a notepad by your bed, wake up and scribble it down. You should have it out of your brain so that it's not running through it all night long. Talk to me a little bit about exercise during the pandemic and and beyond. What's one of the most important things people can do? I mean, obviously, 10,000 steps, being outside, things like that. People have actually found it a little bit challenging to exercise during Mm -hmm. the pandemic. Their gyms aren't open, so they can't go to Pilates or yoga like they normally would. I think the beauty of it is that a lot of these practitioners are doing online like streaming classes. So you kind of, you can do your class anywhere, literally. I think finding a way to move your body is really important. If you can get out in your neighborhood and go for a walk each day, I think that's a great form of exercise. You know, I always tell people, you don't have to do a CrossFit class. Like, let's not get crazy here. (laughs) It's really about just doing something. It could be stretching. It could be walking. You could, you know, putter around your yard. You know, during the pandemic, my housekeeper was off for a while because we didn't have her coming to the house. And I cleaned my house for the first time. And I can't even tell you how long. Oh, my goodness. I gave her a raise when she came back. (laughs) We think of exercise as being the singular thing where, you know, you put your leggings on and you're tanked up and you run or exercise class or whatever it is. And it's really about just getting your heart rate up. Amy, I know you love to entertain and I have friends who have left, say they leave your house as house guests feeling much healthier than when they came. <laughs> Can you talk to us about some of your favorite meals um, that you, you like to make for large groups? I love entertaining and I do a lot of it. I I love a good dinner party. Everyone knows that when they're with me, they're going to probably be eating a lot of vegetables. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So they always have that to look forward to. But I also, you know, it's always some sort of like lean protein or fish and all of my meals are gluten and dairy free. And that's really just a personal preference. And it's what makes me feel good. But when my friends and house guests leave, almost every single time, they comment how they feel and that they felt like they ate so much, but they were never stuffed or bloated or gassy and that all of the food was so good. And they never thought about eating a vegetable in that way or capacity. Mm. So I, for me, it's about, you know, vegetables. If you don't like vegetables, I don't think you've eaten them correct. Like you have, you've <laughs> never had them prepared properly for you. I've had children that would not look at a vegetable, eat an entire sheet pan of broccoli that just had um, (laughs) olive oil, salt and pepper on it. And it was kind of like crispy. And they ate the whole thing. Their parents were like, they don't eat vegetables. So I don't know (laughs) what you did. I was like, I just put, you know, a little salt and fat on there. Salt and fat makes everything taste better. They're so afraid of olive oil, even, you know, or butter. I have so many clients who are, you know, so conflicted. They're like, we're not supposed to eat fat. Everything's supposed to be low fat. And really, I think the data is available now. And it really says that making sure that you're eating a quality fat, like coconut oil, olive oil, you know, the Mediterranean diet is really based around healthy fats and vegetables and lean proteins. And when you look at a diet like that, it's really about eating whole foods. It's kind of how you should be eating. So, you know, I think we were ingrained to be afraid of fat because it clogged our arteries or gave us heart disease. And if you were eating, you know, fried chicken every day with French fries, that will clog your arteries and make you sick. 
But if you're eating olive oil, which is plant-based and, you know, using oils kind of as toppings to your dressings, you know, I always do like olive oil and lemon as a salad dressing. It's just kind of a simple go-to. Fat doesn't make us fat. Sugar and carbohydrates actually do. Talk to me a little bit about keto. I feel like everyone I talk to is either doing keto or thinking about doing keto. Um, You know, keto is a great way to drop weight quickly. It is not sustainable long term. It's also kind of a commitment. So you're limiting the types and kinds of food that you're eating. So you aren't necessarily getting a full nutritional profile when you eat keto. It's really about just eating fats and protein, which there is some merit to that. They've also found that, you know, with autoimmune disease, people that eat a high fat diet, uh, high fat, low carb diets do much better. So there's that also, but you do need some vegetables and fruit just to kind of round out your nutrition. Um, So I tell people to do keto and kind of cycle it. So you could do a few weeks of being on keto and then, you know, like a week or two where you're eating a lot of veggies and veggies actually have carbohydrates in them. If the carbohydrates in a vegetable are going to be so much better than eating a piece of bread or crackers or pasta or something like that, it's also a lot less carbohydrate. So, you know, a serving of pasta has, gosh, I think like 30 or to 50 grams of carbohydrate, whereas, you know, a handful of spinach has like five grams of carbohydrate. So it's, it's a pretty drastic kind of difference. I think keto has a place if you're looking to lose some weight. It's kind of a good springboard for people to feel like they're making progress quickly. I just, I don't think it's a long-term way of eating. I think doing something a little bit more natural and just incorporating a lot of veggies into your diet. You know, I always tell people eat a vegetable with every meal and that could be like just a handful of baby carrots or some, you know, arugula with your chicken breast, whatever it is, but make sure there's some sort of veggie in there. What about intermittent fasting? I think intermittent fasting is actually a little bit funny. So technically, we all kind of fast each day, or we should be. So, you know, if you have dinner at 8 p.m. and you wake up at 8 a.m. and have your first coffee or whatever, I, I call it sleeping, really. You're, like, <laughs> you're not eating in the middle of the night. You shouldn't be. So that's a fast, you know. And when people want to do intermittent fasting, I have them start there. I'm like, okay, make sure that you're done eating by 8 p.m. And you don't eat anything before 8 a.m. So, you know, from, you know, a 10 hour or 12 hour fast, you can kind of progress to maybe a 14 hour fast and kind of incrementally moving yourself up to a place where, you know, maybe you're closing that window. There is a lot of benefit to fasting. Um, It gives our bodies an opportunity to regenerate and reset. It also helps your gut kind of rebalance itself. So there are a lot of benefits. There's been studies where it helps with longevity and aging and all of these different things. So, you know, I think everybody should be fasting for at least 10 to 12 hours each day. And again, that's really just sleeping. Uh, So, you know, I think doing a longer fast or, you know, you don't need to fast for 16 hours every single day of the week. Uh, You can do a 10 hour fast one day, a 12 hour fast one day a 14 hour fast, and then an eight hour fast. But you want to kind of, you know, I think people that are limiting themselves to only being able to eat like four to six hours each day, 
that's just, again, going back to long-term sustainability, it's not really sustainable or realistic. And you're also kind of hit a point where your body is so used to not eating that you probably won't see the same benefits as if you were kind of cycling through your fasting times. On every podcast, we ask our guests what they wore to the prom. Will you share what you wore? Do you remember? I do. So I went to proms in the 90s. And one of my, I went to a couple of them, but my two favorite dresses, one was a black slip dress, which was very Kate Moss at the time. And my other one was a vintage flapper dress. And no way. I found it at a thrift store. And I think my mother was a little horrified. She was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, um, But it was black and it had fringe and it was really cool. And I was really excited about it because I knew nobody else would have anything like it. Did you do your hair... Uh, 20s style or did you do it normal 90s style <laughs> nope so uh, you know I think I was kind of a tomboy I just you know I, I was very natural the concept of wearing makeup or doing your hair to me I just I didn't really get it back then so my hair was just <laughs> I think I brushed it that was about it and I think my mom gave me like some chapstick I think it sounds really chic <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to us. Can you tell us how people can um, follow you and um, be in touch with you? On Instagram, I am eating with Amy and my name is spelled A-M-E. I also have a website, eatingwithamy.com. You can reach out to me on my website or Instagram. And I love fielding questions or, you know, answering questions. So anything you have health related, I am here for you. Thank you, Amy, so much. Thanks, Laura. This was great. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.